If you're standing on a threshold, if you feel a yearning to tap into your greatest potential, but you're caught in that fuzzy in-between space of the now and not yet, don't despair. You're being invited to pivot with greater purpose. You're on the thrilling edge of becoming. You are being called to unleash your soul song. I'm Becky Fleischer, and I believe we're all born with a gift that's uniquely ours, our very own soul song. And I discovered on my own journey that when we unleash it into the world, man, does it make life sing. You might express it through writing, science, cooking, nursing, teaching, or some other endeavor. The song is different for each of us, and its expression can change throughout your life, but it can only sing when you're in tune with your truest self. I know you're trying to get things in focus, that you're looking for encouragement and practical tools to illuminate your own personal journey, and that's what you're gonna get here. I'm excited to travel this road with you. Let's get going. Welcome to another episode of Unleash Your Soul Song. I'm Becky Fleischer, your host, and I have a little confession to make. You can see in my lineup, I've only got a few of these episodes under my belt, so I'm super new to this podcasting game, and the self-doubting sabotage and the nagging inner critic are on serious overdrive. What am I even doing here, they're saying. But here I am. For those of you who've never done something that stretches you, then spoiler alert, this is totally par for the course, and thank goodness I already know that so I can just keep going. And for those of you who have done something like this, then you'll know exactly what I mean when I say, what do we do when these twin powers of self-doubt and inner critic activate? We procrastinate, of course. And that's exactly what I've been doing these past few days when I knew I really needed to prep for this episode, which paradoxically, I could not wait to do. But ugh, this is what the dirty guts look like when you're unleashing your soul song. Like right here in living color, here you go. What I really wanted to tell you was that something really amazing happened when I finally made myself sit down to outline the show. I did what we all do when we're procrastinating. I found a really great distraction. It wasn't social media, which honestly is my go-to distraction drug of choice. Probably many of yours as well. Nope, this time it was a book that had been sitting on my desk for over a week just asking me to open it. And I mean, it's a book, so it's a perfectly justified distraction, right? Not so bad. I opened it up and I started reading it and it opened with a quote that honest to goodness was exactly what I needed to help me frame this whole show for you today. It was amazing. Here's the quote. In the universe, there are things that are known and things that are unknown, and in between them, there are doors. Now, this quote is attributed to the English poet William Blake, and I say that it's attributed to him because there's some controversy that these were his exact words, but more on that later. For now, let's just zero in on the synchronicity of life and the universe delivering up exactly what you need right when you need it. This is so par for the course when you're unleashing your soul song. It's one of the most beautiful things that happens. It is so amazing. When you're pushing the edge of potential and your purpose and you're kind of eking out on a limb where you feel a little frightened and not exactly sure that there's going to be something underneath you to support you, the world rises up to help you and it helps you in really big and really small ways. This quote may be a small way, but 
It was a new quote to me. I literally read it last night. So it was well after I recorded my first episode when I talked about walking down the long and lonely runway when the doors of possibility are hidden from you. I never heard this quote before that metaphor came to my mind. And it's so perfect because I knew what I wanted to talk about today, but I just wasn't sure how to introduce it. But revisiting that notion of the long and lonely runway, that area between the things that are known and unknown, the fuzzy in-between of the now and the not quite yet that I talked about so much and I do talk about so much, it has a name. It's called liminal space. And it's what I want to talk about today. If you're like the me of not so long ago, you're probably thinking, liminal? Like, what? It kind of sounds familiar, but at the same time, not so much. Here's a little primer. The word liminal comes from the Latin word limen, which means threshold. So let's think for a second about thresholds. Thresholds are the place where everything changes. You're moving from one space to another. It's where you can see the edge of a new reality, and nothing that you can do can make you unsee that edge. You can't unsee that new reality. Even if you don't know how you'll get there or how you'll endure getting there, it pushes you forward. Sometimes those threshold moments happen in the blink of an eye, like if you're in a life and death situation. And other times it plays out like a slow and torturous movie. Think of it like a transition period when you're suspended between two realities. It's a space where you can't really find your footing because you aren't meant to take root there. It's not a place to make home. It's meant to be impermanent. You're not meant to stay there. But it's a very sacred time of in-between. Two examples that people can more easily wrap their head around and the two that I've experienced so I feel like I can speak to them are pregnancy and death. Pregnancy is intimately understood and physically felt as a transition period by women. And if they let it, it can be an emotionally transformative time for men as well. You're moving from being a woman to a mother and from a man to a father. But in that pregnancy time, you're not quite either. You're in that in-between space. The other liminal space that people talk about a lot is death. And this is either through facing your own mortality or an illness that could potentially be fatal or when you walk through a season of life when you lose a very close loved one, like a parent or a spouse or a child. Now, I've been through both of these traditionally defined liminal spaces and had totally different experiences. With my first pregnancy, which I welcomed, I planned it even. Imagine that, the project manager planning her pregnancy. I did everything I could to keep things the same. I would not let it wreck my body and I raced to get it back. And I mean all the way back, perfectly back, just as soon as my daughter was born. And I was mentally prepared to make sure it did not upend my life too much either. Now, anyone who has children, I can hear you laughing from here. It doesn't make me proud to say these things, but They're honest. That's where I was in that time of my life. I just wouldn't allow myself to sink into that sacred space, that transition from woman to mother. I wouldn't let it really transform me. And I really suffered because of it. Not during my pregnancy, but in my early years of being a mother. 
instead of embracing a new reality as a mom, I tried to hold tight to the mental construct of what my life had been before I had my child. And I missed some of the juiciest bits of joy and pleasure in being a new mom. I have very few regrets in life, but not giving myself to that experience more fully when really when both of my kids were born is one of them. My experience with liminal space surrounding death was just over a year ago when my dad was diagnosed with pulmonary fibrosis and again when he passed just three short months later. When I walked through the valley of death with my father, it was the most spiritually charged time of my life. It was equally the most painful thing I have ever gone through and one of the most beautiful, kind of like childbirth. Though even with that, I demanded to be induced so that I could get an epidural the moment the pain started. It's just where I was. But a year ago, I was in a different space. And beyond that, there's no epidural that can numb the loss of a parent. And, you know, gratefully, I wouldn't have asked for one anyway by that time in my life. I wanted to feel everything. It made him, the love we had as father and daughter, and his amazing life, it made it all so real. And I hate more than anything that he's gone. I miss him terribly. I can still fall into a puddle of tears out of nowhere thinking about him. But the gifts of spirit I received during that time of his passing were truly transformative for me. And I have no regrets, none whatsoever, about his passing. I felt it all. I sunk into it. I embraced that liminal space, and I was transformed because of it. Now, the chasm between these outcomes of these two liminal spaces, one ushering in a new life and one ushering it out, is exactly the kind of paradox that Carl Jung welcomes us to explore. And they're also the opposites that we don't usually like to feel. The joy, yes, yes, we want that, right? We want more joy. Yes, give it to me. But who would welcome that kind of pain? The pain that comes, the physical pain that comes with childbirth, who would welcome that? And the emotional pain that comes from losing someone so dear to you, no one wants that. We're conditioned, in fact, to avoid it. And just as I said, not everyone will go through the door to liminal space when it's presented. They'll use the trappings of their mind to muscle through, to rationalize, to keep their emotions in check, to not allow it to derail or deconstruct them in any fashion. And I've come to learn how tragically sad that is because liminal space, while it's challenging, it's disorienting, it's demanding, it's also transforming. It's the space where true change, transformation, and creativity live and thrive. But it's frightening to us because it's also the place of disorder on the way to a reorder that we might not know yet. I can think of it like the sticks of wood. You know, like when the sticks of wood start to rub together, they're creating this horrible friction that smokes and shaves away layers of bark. And I can just imagine, like, when the first man did this, 
What were they thinking? They probably thought they were ruining some really great sticks, right? They're like pushing these sticks together, rubbing them together and thinking stuff's just flying off. This can't be good. It's totally deconstructing. The process looked like destruction. And in many ways, it is. The wood is forever changed once it starts to spark and burn. But there is a light that comes from that friction, a brand new reality brought into being by destruction and disorder. And it changed the world. That's liminal space. Liminal space ushers us into a period of disorder. It's a critical part of transformation in a very natural cycle of growth between the order of reality that we know that's safe to a reordering of reality that's not yet known, but it's more integrative and expansive. So pregnancy and death are two more universally defined times in our lives when you can enter liminal space for personal and spiritual growth. But let me walk you through a less defined time, one that helped me tap into greater personal potential and possibility. It's when I found myself at one of those threshold doors long before I even knew what the concept of liminal space was. This is a story about what the front edge of what a more undefined liminal space looks like when you don't even know what's happening. So I wrote a song called Shift on a spring afternoon in April of 2017. It's the first song I ever wrote, and miraculously, it arrived almost completely full in the course of a few hours. And for anyone who creates, for musicians, artists, scientists, I don't care who you are, anyone who creates, you know these moments of grace from the muse are a rare treasure beyond explanation. Something that afternoon called me to sit with my guitar and almost as if someone else was playing, I started strumming this melody and before I knew it, I was singing these words, words I had never heard woven together in this particular pattern, just kind of floated out from someplace deep, deep, deep inside of me. It was a deeply meaningful song about change that I thought was just for me. So you can imagine my surprise when my son came home and he heard me playing through it. He was drawn to it. He came into to where I was playing and he asked me, you know, what is that song? Why do I know that song? And I explained, you couldn't possibly know this song because I just wrote it. And he asked me to play it for him again. And when I did, when I finished, he said, I would like to sing that song for my graduation. That was for his fifth grade graduation. He was 11 at the time. And it was just a few months away. And I didn't, I didn't really want him to to do it. I didn't want him to sing it. I didn't really want the song out there. It was the first song I ever wrote and talk about self-doubt and the inner critic. Oof. They were on serious overdrive. There was no possible way. I was sharing this little seed of a song, right, that had just plopped itself into my head and literally had just arrived. I was not going to put that out into the world. So that was in April. Well, in June, my brave little boy, stood on stage proudly at his graduation and became the first person to share my song, Shift, publicly. 
Now, upon reflection, it didn't surprise me that the song resonated with him and his classmates because they were staring right down the barrel at change. But what took me by surprise was the audience's reaction. My back was turned to them, actually, because I was playing for my son. I was accompanying him on guitar, so I was watching him on stage. But I could feel the energy in the auditorium coming together as people listened to him singing this song and connected to the message and his earnest delivery in their own way. When the ceremony was over, people told me that they were alternating clapping with wiping away tears from listening to him sing that song. And what surprised me even more from that is that people asked where they could download the recording of the song. I was shocked. I just, I wasn't expecting that kind of reaction. I didn't expect this song to resonate so deeply with people because remember, I thought that this song was just a song for me. And then I thought, okay, well, I guess maybe my son is feeling it. So, you know, he's going to play it and that's fine. And so I guess I could see how he would resonate with the song about change. He's graduating and moving from elementary school to a brand new middle school. Okay, I get that. But I didn't think anybody else beyond that would get it. But what that experience made me realize was that that song, it was for all of us. It wasn't meant for me to hold tight and just to keep to myself. It was meant for me to share. When people talk about aha moments in their life, it's usually these big flashy stories, right? So you might be expecting me to say that after his successful graduation debut, I recorded Shift, I sold millions of copies, I reached the top of the billboard charts, I launched my epic music career. No, that didn't happen. <laughs> or, or maybe you're thinking, this is what I'm going to tell you, that that moment opened my eyes, it clarified my life's purpose, how in that instant my life's journey became crystal clear. <laughs> no, negative, that didn't happen either. Not in that moment. Those are the flashy, amazing kinds of stories that we are used to hearing, right? When people share their unleashing, when they share how they found their purpose or found their drive. It's some like big, flashy, crazy story, right? But that's not my story. Big and flashy, they're not part of my story. They're probably not part of your story either. But I've said it before and I will say it again and I will say it again and I will say it again. Big and flashy aren't necessary outcomes for something to be fundamentally important, impactful, valuable, and worth talking about. My story's worth talking about and your story's worth talking about. Anyone who's unleashing their soul song, their story's worth talking about. Because I've come to see that some of the most extraordinary things live inside ordinary moments and seemingly ordinary people. I also think that we're really prone to miss it. And I know I have. I've definitely missed it. In fact, that day of my son's graduation, I was only able to pick up like small pieces of its meaning and just how extraordinary it was. It was only a couple of years later, really upon reflection, that I really understood what was happening in that moment. And thankfully, you know, the universe, a higher power, God, fate, human intellect, I honestly don't care whatever name you want to call it. Call it what you need to. But whatever it was, it patiently and surely showed me again and again 
and again, until finally I allowed myself to hear the invitation that my soul was trying to deliver that day. This invitation to turn the knob of the door that was going to lead me into this transformational liminal space. And let me tell you, when I did, I started experiencing the most beautiful synchronicities and seeing the most extraordinary things everywhere. And now I can see what I couldn't see then. This was more than just a song. It was a message inviting me on a journey of self-discovery, personal growth, and spiritual awakening. It was a threshold moment that was inviting me into liminal space. Now, as I mentioned, Shift was the first song I ever wrote. And at the time, I'm going to set the stage for you, right? I was the mother of two, still am the mother of two, gratefully, a busy volunteer, a hobbyist musician, a part-time project manager working with an international women's organization. Now, really, I want you to focus on that last part, the project manager part. And just to put a fine point on it, I was a damn good one. Yes, I was. I dotted all those I's. I crossed all those T's. I hit every deadline. I made sure everyone else did too. Project management defined my adult life and my identity. Not really by intention, but just because I was good at it, those surface level skills. Anything that needed a project management touch, I was your girl. I mean, I could turn an episodic volunteer experience into an unpaid part-time job at the drop of a dime. Boom. I could do that for sure. If you're being gracious, you would call people like me type A, the doers buttoned up. And if you're not being so gracious, you would call them over-engineering anal retentive pains in the asses. And quite honestly, depending on who you speak with, they might say that all of those descriptions applied to me. It's quite possible. I don't know. Um, But describe me as a songwriter, and I'm sure they would call you crazy. There was nothing in my professional background or adult life to indicate I'd pivot to a career in music and endeavor to lead a creative life. In fact, the me of five years ago would have recoiled at the thought of making so much space for living so creatively, and I honestly would have been clueless as to what that even could have looked like. In reality, there was a clue, and sadly, I had become so lost to my truest self, I almost forgot about it entirely, which is astonishing given that as a child, I was a musician. As much as I was a project manager in my adult life, I was a musician from the moment I was born until I gave it all up at the age of 18. With a true, true beginner's mind that children are blessed with. Every time I dreamed of doing something with music, I just thought I could. And so I did. I just tried it and just figured it out. And don't get me wrong. I had to work at it. I had to practice. These things didn't just come in a bottle and just pour it out and there it is. I had to practice. I had to work at those skills. I had to work at that and make it happen. There was one thing that eluded me. I dreamed of writing my own songs. I tried a few times, but they just would never, ever come. The muse would not bestow her grace on me when I was a kid. Either that or I just missed it. I don't know. It doesn't matter because either way, it was the one unfulfilled musical dream from my childhood. 
I graduated high school when I was 18. I decided to focus on being serious and finding out what I wanted to do when I grew up. And I didn't think music was practical. And I was and still remain a very practical person. But more damning than that, I didn't think I was good enough. The inner critic was at it. And I stopped completely this time and I closed that chapter on my musical life for good. Or so I thought. Fast forward exactly 18 years, and I'm talking like 18 years I was a musician, 18 years I was not. And that's not lost on me because the number 18 is sacred in the Jewish culture. And even though I was raised Catholic, I am now raising my children Jewish. And I find these little synchronicities everywhere, right? So 18 years later, I'm now this, let's be nice, we're going to be nice and say I was this buttoned up project manager with two kids in elementary school in the burbs. And I met a woman who tells me that she's in a band. And my world began to shift. That was the summer of 2013. And thanks to that woman who quickly became a good friend and is still a good friend of mine, I started playing the guitar again. My creative juices began to awaken from their slumber and in true project management fashion, by the summer of 2014, I had started a band with one of my closest friends. And once again, the point of what was happening in that moment escaped me. Now I can look back and see that first point of integration in my shift, that extraordinary thing that was starting to happen because I was bringing my whole self to something. My skills in project management, you know, for making things happen, came together with my childhood passion for music, and I helped form a band that brought more happiness and meaning to my life than I ever could have imagined. And it kickstarted my pivot back to music in a major, major way. My bandmates were like family, and it was the safest and most supportive place to get back to my guitar playing chops and begin singing again. Now, for anyone who has ever played a musical instrument or sing songs, you know how deeply, deeply vulnerable we feel when we're doing it especially when you're starting out or just starting again, which we all were in some fashion. We were all walking out on a wire together and we quickly became best friends. So that band started in 2014. And in late 2016, just two years into that experience, I felt a new energy coming in and it was really restless. It wanted something more, but I was really unwilling to explore or even acknowledge that because I knew it was going to require change and I didn't want anything to change. So I pushed that little knowing and that energy into a little space and ignored it. Or so I thought. <laughs> I didn't really know what I was up against. Again, hindsight is twenty twenty. this year, 2020. Oh, so much vision, so many things happening. But hindsight is twenty twenty, And I can see now that this kind of energy, this kind of knowing, that's your soul softly tapping, asking you to move beyond, to expand, to make space for new life to come in. And if you ignore it, you'll start to feel the energy of your life dulling and becoming stagnant even in places that you love and you previously found so fulfilling and life-giving, if you ignore 
that tap of the soul, it will start to fade. That energy is so insistent and demanding because it's meant to help you grow as a person and to reconnect or further connect with your true self so that you can embody those gifts that we, we've talked about before, those gifts that you are meant to bring into this world, right? Those gifts you're meant to unleash into this world. Like I talked about in an earlier episode, blocking this invitation from the soul into liminal space, what I now know is called liminal space, results in a lot of suffering. Ironically, when you fall into it, it's so frightening, but it's also so empowering because when you yield to that energy, when you go with it, the free fall that you're feeling actually takes you directly to the center of your being. I didn't hold that little nugget of knowledge when this change came knocking in. I wasn't inviting it. And so along came a lot of suffering. In the spring of 2017, I received what I would call an intuitive knowing. For months, I'd been in deep contemplation about my purpose in this life. And I kept asking myself if I could do anything, anything at all, without thinking of its practicality or feasibility and not knowing what the outcome would be. What would I do? And as I was out walking my dog one day, enjoying the silence and the beautiful weather, the nice spring breeze. The answer came to me in a whisper, and the whisper said, music. And it felt absurd. It had no grounding. It had no basis. My project manager brain, which was still in full effect at that time, was like, nope, we're going to dismiss that right away. Out you go. But luckily, I had already started cultivating the other parts of my myself, the creative side, the right brain side, you know, not that process oriented left brain side. And, and I stopped my project managing tendencies long enough to suspend judgment and say, no, I really know I need to explore this. That knowing was just, it was so minimal. I can't emphasize that enough. It was, it was just this small seed of knowing It was one simple word. That's it. Music. It was non-directive, but it was oddly hopeful. And it filled me with just such a sense of optimism. I honestly couldn't wait for our band's next rehearsal. I couldn't wait to tell them about this download of knowing because they'd understand. They'd get it. We were all enamored and believed in the mysterious synchronicities in life. And I just knew they would be as excited as I was, and we'd all go figure out what it meant together because that's how we rolled as a group, together. But before I could share my news in that rehearsal, our drummer announced that she couldn't go on being in the band anymore. She needed to stop. And it came out of nowhere, and it shattered my heart in a million pieces. I felt totally lost and I didn't understand how in the world could I have this profound knowing only to be told the one avenue I'd created to pursue music was shutting down. And more than that, how in the world was I supposed to walk out on this flimsy limb of intuition without my musical family with me, right? I wanted my people. I wanted them to go with me. I didn't want to go alone. So even though that happened at rehearsal, I still wasn't fully accepting the invitation to the liminal space. I was still trying to muscle through with my rational mind to control the process. 
and I tried to twist and turn things in every possible way to make the reality I was facing different. But every way I tried to keep going, the answer was no. My beautiful band was on a break, officially on a break of unknown length. And that's when the universe tapped me on the shoulder and whispered in my ear, you can't avoid this change any longer. And my next wave of spine-chilling knowing came washing over me. That flimsy branch in front of me was meant for a solo walker. I had to step out of the small and safe surround of my musical family and pursue what was pushing on my heart. So here's the thing about liminal space. Many people can be in liminal space at the same time. But the individual passages, those individual thresholds, can't be navigated together. You can't tag along for the ride or have someone tag along with you. It's a solo trip, even though there's a door for everyone. That can be one of the most difficult aspects of the journey through liminal space. It reminds me of a particularly spot-on quote that circulated during the pandemic, that we all might be in the same storm, but we aren't all in the same boat. Similarly, with liminal space and the journey it invites us to take, we might all be in gym class together, but we've each got to do our own push-ups to build those muscles. And it was time for me to get to work. Now, two years earlier, a band that honest to God, intimidated the hell out of me, asked me if I would come and sing with them. And at the time, I had pushed them off. Listen, they intimidated me. I wasn't going to, like, stick my neck out there and go be part of that group and fail or chance to fail. Forget it. But now I knew at this moment when my band was on a break, I knew it was time. I had to step out, try it out. So I sent them an email and I asked them, you know, do you still need a female singer? And I know it sounds so small and it sounds so silly, but that email was scary for me to send because you have to remember at that time, I was a hobbyist musician and these guys were definitely not that. One had played with Bobby Weir from The Grateful Dead, another had performed at Carnegie Hall, and another had been signed to an international record label as a session musician. And I had, well... I had won musical competitions as a child. <laughs> I mean, it makes me laugh just to say it right now. I had no idea if I could keep up with these guys. And I had no control over the outcome of how they would receive me or where things would go. So for me, sending that email was a major moment. So I sent the email and... You know, the anxiety is starting to subside a little after you hit send. You have that moment of, oh, my God, what did I just do? And you take a breath and you realize, okay, I got to get on with my day. So I decided to go uh, sit down with my guitar. Something told me just go sit down with your guitar for a little while. And I sat down with my guitar. And one of the things that eluded me as a child, my desire to write music, was given to me like a little gift from the universe as a reward for opening the door to liminal space. And that's when shift arrived in my guitar strings and it came out almost totally complete. 
it was my bonus for hearing and finally, finally accepting the invitation from my soul. Even though I knew nothing about liminal space at that moment, and I had no idea what I was in for, but as if to pace me for the demanding journey ahead, that was also that very night when my song was only a few hours into this world, when my son asked me if he could sing it at his graduation. Like I told you, I initially said no, but in the end, I mean, come on, what mom can deny her son when his connection seems so sincere and his desire to perform it so earnest? And when I said yes, it was the final push through the threshold. I was in the space. I was doing the thing, right? I was putting it out there. I was putting myself out there. And from that moment forward, amazing things kept coming. And they keep coming. All of which I'm going to continue to share with you throughout this podcast. But for today... What I want you to walk away with is the knowledge that no matter what liminal space you go through, there doesn't have to be some big and flashy outcome for it to be fundamentally important, impactful, valuable, and worth talking about. Because no matter if they are big or small, these sacred spaces of transformation are essential for our personal growth, for our path to the edge of becoming for unleashing our soul song. Now, really quickly before we end, I want to circle back to that William Blake quote that I opened with. In the universe, there are things that are known and things that are unknown. And in between them, there are doors. When I opened that book on my desk and I saw this quote, I knew it was perfect. First, I knew it was perfect. I was like, oh, that's that's what I've been needing, right? But I didn't want to use it unless I knew where it came from. And I will be real honest, I had never heard of William Blake before I read that quote. And so I did a quick Google search to figure out, you know, was it from a book he wrote or a poet or prose or what was it? I don't know. And what Google quickly revealed is that no one can really pinpoint it directly to any of William Blake's works. It's kind of interesting. His piece, The Marriage of Heaven and Hell, which was written around 1790, contained a quote that famously spoke of perception and metaphorical doorways. That quote, which you may have heard, says, If the doors of perception were cleansed, everything would appear to man as it is, infinite. I mean, that's a beautiful quote in and of itself. I could have opened with that, but I didn't. I opened with the other. And here's what's interesting about that. In 1954, Aldous Huxley wrote a book called The Doors of Perception that discussed his experiences with psychoactive agents. But even though its title was a nod to Blake's work, the quote didn't come from there either. That original quote I opened with, it didn't come from there either. So where did the quote come from? It's not in any of William Blake's works. It's not in Aldous Huxley's work. So an online source called The Quote Investigator, they believe that the quote was derived from the words of the musician Ray Manzarek, who, together with Jim Morrison, co-founded the legendary rock band The Doors, whose name was inspired by Aldous Huxley's book, which was inspired by William Blake. Are you following this? Are you catching all this? So in 1967, Newsweek magazine profiled The Doors, and they quoted Manzarek saying the following. Here we go. There are things you know about and things you don't, the known and the unknown, and in between are the doors. That's us. 
Aha.、Uh -huh. So perhaps the quote should really be attributed to him, and not Blake. In any regard, I have to admit that the quote that so perfectly opened the door, pun intended, to this conversation about liminal space, that ended up leading me down a trail to the musical group The Doors, right, made my mouth drop. I knew, before I even saw that quote, I knew. This episode was going to be about liminal space, and the first song I ever wrote. But when I wanted to find a way to frame it up, I never could have imagined that one quote could so perfectly relate to both. Now you could choose to see that as a mere coincidence, but I choose to see it as something more. And you know what? It makes my life richer and fuller for having that kind of vision. This is the good stuff that makes the ride so much fun. I'm so curious to know what you think about that, about the quote, about my journey falling down the rabbit hole, about where the quote actually came from, how it relates to this episode and this whole episode in general. So why don't you head on over to my Instagram account at Unleash Your Soul Song and send me a message? And to show my appreciation to all of you for listening, if you head to my website. TheIntuneExperience.com. You can download the song I talked about today, "Shift," for free until the end of this year, 2020. I'll put a link in the show notes for easy access. So, if you like today's show, would you please do me a favor and go on iTunes and rate and review it? That's honestly the best way to help other people find the show. Now, I know. How busy life is, and how many directions you're pulled in. So, thank you so, so, so much for being here with me today. I'm gonna leave you now, but before you go, I would love it if you wanted to stick around and hear my song "Shift," which I'm gonna leave you with today. I hope you all have a great week, and thanks so much for being with me. Stay the same. I just keep hearing no. It seems that things are gonna change. I wanna keep holding on to all the beauty that I see.
the shift occur and see where things land. Just let them land. Trust where they land.